Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Job chapter number 12. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we are going through a study of the book of Job. We're taking one chapter a week, and uh, we're going through this book. And of course, Job chapter 12, it, we're, we're right towards the end of round one in this conversation. The majority of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his three friends. Later on in the book, we've got a fourth friend who's been quiet this whole time, and he'll speak up. But the majority of the book is this going back and forth. And there's actually three different rounds where all three different, where the three friends all speak. Job responds, and this happens three different times. And we've uh, had all three friends now speak and condemn Job. And Job is now uh, answering Zophar, and he's really answering all of them. Uh, and I want you to notice here, and we'll, we'll look at some things that, 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 that he says. Before we do that, though, let me, let me just say this. This chapter is kind of divided into two sections, and I'll just give you those six sections um, in advance. The first section is um, what Job feels uh, about himself, and we'll see that in verses 1 through 6. And then the second section is what Job knows about God. So we have what Job feels about himself in verses 1 through 6, and then we have what Job knows about God in verses 7 through the end of chapter, verse 25. Now, I want you to notice he begins in verse 1 here with answering Zophar, and he answers Zophar the Naamathite very sarcastically. Notice Job chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says this, And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people. Now, keep in mind, for the last several chapters, his friends have just been attacking him and attacking him, calling him stupid and uh, saying that he's wicked and that these things that are happening to him, uh, you know, he, he brought this upon himself. And uh, they've even said that, that he should, the worst things should have happened to him and all these things. And Job is pretty just kind of fed up with these guys. And, and he responds with this phrase, says, no doubt, but ye are the people. And it's a sarcastic uh, sort of uh, tone, and it's it's the same way that you and I today would say, you're the man, you know, he's kind of looking at them and saying, you know, well, well, you're it, I mean, you are the people, then he says this, and wisdom shall die with you, and again, he has this sarcastic uh, 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 argument back to these guys, what he's basically saying is, you know, you guys must have a monopoly on wisdom, I mean, when you die, wisdom's going to die with you because you are the people and obviously you just have the corner market on wisdom. He says, no doubt, but ye are the people and wisdom shall die with you. And then he begins to kind of answer and we begin this little section of this chapter with how Job feels about himself. But let me say this, it's really how Job's friends are making him feel about himself, or it's how Job is being made to feel. And if you're taking notes, maybe you can write some of these uh, points down, how Job feels about himself due to these friends of his. Number one, Job was made to feel inferior. Notice verse three, he says, because he just got done kind of sarcastically saying, no doubt ye are the people. He says, you're the man. And you know, and you've, you've got a monopoly on wisdom. Wisdom shall die with you. When you die, wisdom dies with you because you've got all the wisdom. Then he says this in verse 3. He says, but I have understanding as well as you. He says, I am not inferior to you. 
He says this two different times. He says it in the next chapter. We'll see that uh, in, in chapter 13. But he says, I am not inferior to you, yea, who knoweth not such things as these? And what he's saying, and this is how we know he's being sarcastic in, in verse 2. Because in verse 2, he says, ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. He's saying, saying you've got some sort of a wisdom that only you are uh, uh, you know, have access to, and when you die, that wisdom is going to die with you. But then in verse 3, he says, you know what, I have understanding as well as you. He says, I'm not inferior to you. Yea, he says, who knoweth not such things as these? He says, look, the things you're saying, you're, you're not the only one saying those things. Everyone knows these things that you are saying. But I want you to notice that he says, I am not inferior because he's being made to feel as though he is inferior. And really, this is a tactic that is often used against believers or against people who are trying to walk with the Lord or walk with God, because even Christians will do this to other Christians. But it's, it's this idea where they try to make you feel like you're inferior uh, to them. You're, you're there in Job chapter 12. That's our text for tonight. But go over to Job chapter 5, if you would. And let's look at uh, one of the earlier arguments of Eliphaz, and I'll show you kind of how they do this. Job chapter 5 and verse 27 this is Eliphaz speaking to Job, Job 5.27, and notice what Eliphaz says. He says, lo this. He says, we have searched it out. So it is. He says, look, we, notice the plural, not I, but we, us three, even that fourth guy that hasn't said anything yet, you know, we have searched it out. We've looked into it, so therefore, so it is. Hear it. And know thou it for thy good. And this is what is often used by the world or by worldly Christians as an attack on people who are trying to do right and people who are trying to be like a Job. And it is this, this argument that says, well, everyone agrees, you know, everyone believes, so therefore it must be right. I mean, the world is going to try to make us feel inferior by saying, well, look, All the scientists agree evolution is real. So you must be an idiot, Job. I mean, that's the argument, right? Everyone believes. Everybody agrees. You're the only one who thinks this way. Look, you're the only one. You and your little church in Sacramento are the only ones that are upset about the LGBTQ. Everybody else accepts them, right? So the problem must be with you. And we're constantly, you know, being made to feel inferior, and, and here Job's friends are saying, look, we all agree. We've all judged it. We've all searched it out. We've all looked into it. Job, you're wicked. You're wrong. It's your fault. And Job is looking at them and saying, look, I'm not inferior to you. And, and please look, understand this. The world is going to constantly try to make you feel inferior, especially you young people. Don't walk in this world. I'm not talking about being proud or arrogant, but don't walk with your head down like you've got something to be ashamed of. You're not inferior to anybody because you're homeschooled. In fact, if anything, they're inferior to you. That's what the grades, that's what the test scores say. (laughs) You know, but uh, just because you're you're raised in a conservative Christian home, you're raised in a home where, uh, uh, where there's standards and where there's protection and where you've been sheltered, you're not inferior to anybody. You got nothing to be ashamed about. You, have, you say, oh, well, everybody agrees. Everybody is doing. Everybody is listening to. Everybody is watching. Look, it is not a good argument 
when the argument is, but everyone agrees. Look, just understand this. In life, in general, what most people are doing is wrong. I mean, this is a biblical principle. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. He says, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. The Bible says, in general, look, in general, what most people are doing are wrong. In fact, if you want to be a success in life, if you want to be a success in life, and I believe in reading, and I believe in reading books, and reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and all that, and I think you should do that, I'm not saying, but look, honestly, you don't have to read a lot of books on health, you don't have to read a lot of books on finances, and I'm not, look, read books, reading is good, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but here's the truth, if, if you say, I don't have time to read books, okay, here's all you need to do, look at what most people are doing, and do the opposite. You say, I want to get healthy, look at what most people are doing, and do the opposite, and you'll be fine. I want to be financially successful. Look at what most people are doing and do the exact opposite and you'll probably be all right. You say, I want to have a good marriage. Look at what most people are doing and do the opposite. I want to raise good kids. Look at what most people are doing and do the opposite. Look, in life, just realize this, most people are wrong. But this is the argument that they'll use. Well, most people agree that we all came from an ape. Well, you know what? Most people are wrong. We are not inferior, and Job is being made to feel inferior here because they're saying, well, most people don't agree with you, Job. Most people don't like what you're saying, Job. Most people don't like, you know, most people aren't using, most churches aren't using the King James Bible. Well, you know what? Most churches are wrong. Because most people, look, just in, as a rule of, of thumb, look at what most people are doing, and they're wrong. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. And the Bible says, few there be that find it. Go, go uh, you're there in Job, uh, go, go back to Job chapter 12 if you would. So we see, number one, that Job was made to feel inferior. And again, look, I, you should read the Bible, you should study the Bible, you should read books, you should try to learn and, and understand things. But if you ever have to make a decision and you're not sure, you know, what to do, look at what most people are doing and do the opposite. Young people. If you ever find yourself in a situation with all sorts of other young people your age, and it just seems like this is not a good idea, look at what most people are doing and just do the opposite. I'm not talking about, you know, at a church event, okay? If most people, you know, the great thing about our church is that most of the teenagers are soul winning. You know, follow them, <laughs> you know. Um, but in general, though, in life, just realize, when you're at work, when you're at school, if you go to a secular school, when you find yourself out just in the world, look at what most people are doing, and it's probably wrong. So we see that Job was made to feel inferior. And don't hold your head down. Look, you have to hold your head down because you're a Christian. You don't have to. I, I remember when I was in the military, and I was in, in training at uh, Shepherd Air Force Base in, in Texas. And I remember just having these conversations with some of the guys that I was in training with. And, you know, they're always talking about drinking. And they're always, um, you know, talking about how they're going to uh, go get drunk on Friday night and blah, 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 and all these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, and, they're, and, and they're constantly inviting me to these things. And I'm like, no. You know, no. I'm not going to go to that. You know, I'm not interested. God bless you. If you want to come to church, you know. Uh, let's, you know, we, I'll take you out to lunch or whatever, but I'm not going to go hang out with you and drink or just, oh, well, you don't have to drink, just be there. Why would I want to hang out with a bunch of drunks? Right. You know, and I remember they, they got really offended because they're like, you just think you're better than us. You just think you're better. And, and you know, honestly, it's not that I think that I'm better, but you know what? I'm doing something better with my life. 
And you know what, young people? You are a child of the King of Kings. You are a child of God. And I don't think we should go around saying we are better, but let me tell you something, you are better. You are better than that. So look at what most people are doing, and it's wrong. And uh, you'll be fine. Number two, not only was Job made to feel inferior, but Job was made to feel mocked at. Notice Job chapter 12 and verse 4. He says, I am as one mocked of his neighbor. He says, they mock at me. Who calleth upon God? And he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. He says, you're laughing at me. And here's what's interesting. His friends supposedly are believers and they believe in God. And, you know, I'm sure they were saved. We don't know. I don't know. But he's looking at them and he's saying, you're mocking me because I'm calling upon God. And he answereth him. He says, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God. He says, you're mocking me because I'm calling upon God. And he answereth him. He says, the just upright. And look, in this situation, Job was the most just and upright man. He says, the just and upright man is laughed to scorn. Look, in the Christian life, just understand this. The world and worldly Christians are going to try to make you feel inferior. And the world... And worldly Christians are going to try to mock at you when you live for God. Go to the book of Acts, if you would, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 17. Acts 17. And when you get to Acts 17, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or uh, a bulletin or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come right back to Acts 17 later on in the sermon. Acts 17, and look at verse number 32. This is the Apostle Paul preaching on Mars Hill, if you remember. And he's preaching to those very superstitious Greeks. Matthew 17, verse 32. This is towards the end. Later we're going to come back and look at the beginning of his sermon. But this is at the end of his sermon when he gets done preaching. Notice verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, notice these words, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Listen, if you want to live the Christian life, you're going to have to get used to just having people mock at you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to think you're silly. They're going to think you're odd. They're going to make fun and say, oh, you're like, you know, little house on the prairie. And they're going to mock at you. And look, just realize it's part of the Christian life. They mocked at Christ. They're going to mock at you. And Job here felt mocked at. Here, Paul stood up. Look, Paul, probably the most intellectual man alive in his day, stands up to these superstitious Greeks and says, look, let me tell you about the unknown God. And he begins to talk to them about creation, and he teaches and preaches to them this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and then they mock at him. They laugh. Look, in the Christian life, just get used to it. If you can't get used to people laughing at you, you're not going to make it in the Christian life. And you guys that want to go into ministry one day, you dead sure better get used to people mocking at you and people making fun of you. Because when you get up and preach God's word, that's what the world does. They mock at you. And they laugh at you. And look, don't put a lot of stock on those, on those YouTube comments. All right? Don't, don't live or die by the YouTube comments. 
You know, don't, don't, don't consider whether it was a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying sermon based on how many thumbs up you got, all right? Because sometimes the sermon with the most thumbs down is the one that God's given a thumbs up to. Sometimes the church with the, with the you know, one-star Google rating and all the comments saying, I would have gave less if they'd allow me to, you know, that's the one that God's giving four stars to. Because the world, look, the world tries to make you feel inferior, and the world mocks at you. This is just part of the Christian life. Look at verse 5. Go back, to, keep your place there in Acts. Go back to Job chapter 12, verse 5. We see that Job was made to feel inferior. We see that Job was made to feel mocked at, humiliated. But then, thirdly, I want you to notice that he was made to feel despised. Look at verse 5. He says, he that is ready to slip with his feet. And we're going to come back to that phrase here in a minute. But he says, he is a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. Now, there's two thoughts in this verse that we're going to pull out. But the first one I want you to notice is that he, he says this. He says, he is a lamp despised in the thoughts of him. He says, look, he, he says, the, the, the upright and just man, he is despised in the thoughts of the world. And look again, if you're going to live the Christian life, I'm not talking about being saved. Being saved and living the Christian life are two different things. Being saved and being sanctified are two different things. Being a Christian and being a disciple are two different things. But if you're going to live the upright life, the just life, the disciples' life, if you're going to be the light, we're going to begin a series here uh, soon. We'll announce it on Sunday, uh, a series called Shine as Light. If you're going to shine in this world as a light for the Lord Jesus Christ, just realize something. You will be made to feel inferior, you will be mocked at, and you will be despised. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you kept your place in Acts, keep, continue to keep your place in Acts, because we're going to come back to Acts 17, but go to uh, 1 Corinthians from there. You have Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. And look, kind of going back with this idea, Sometimes people will say things to me or pastors like me, some of my pastor friends, and they'll say, well, there must be something wrong with your church. You know, the same argument that Job's friends made. There must be something wrong with your church because everybody hates you. Look at these YouTube uh, uh, comments. Look at these Google ratings. Look at all these emails and, and things that people are saying about you. There must be something wrong with you. But look, this is, there's actually something wrong with There's something wrong with the church that the world loves. The church in a community that the mayor loves, that the police chief loves, that the sheriff loves, that the whole world loves, there's something wrong with that church. Because in because you you say, well, what are you doing at Verity Baptist Church? You know what we're doing? We're being a first century local church. We're being just like the first century church, just like the book of Acts, because you know what in the book of Acts, they hated them too. Notice what uh, Paul said in the first century, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, For I think that God has set us forth as the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. He says, These people want to kill us. He says, For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He says, Look, the world looks at us and they think we're a spectacle. 
Look at verse 10. He says, For we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. And by the way, he's talking to this world, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's talking to this church, and he's telling them, look, I'm suffering. I'm suffering, and we are suffering. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And, and you know, he's kind of looking at the church in Corinth and saying, you know, why don't you quit being so worldly? Why don't you join the fight a little bit? You know, come on in, the water's warm. He says, we are fools, and we are weak, and we are despised. He said, we are made a spectacle unto the world. I love what Hebrews 13, 13 says. You don't have to turn there. But Hebrews 13, 13 says this, Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know who else was despised? Jesus. You know who else was a reproach? The word reproach means he was disapproved of. He, they, they did not approve of him. They did not like him. You know who else was a reproach? Jesus. And the Bible says that you and I should go forth, therefore, without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know, to be like Christ, you may have to leave the camp. To be like Christ, you may have to leave the crowd. To be like Christ, to follow in his footsteps, you may have to have people act like you are inferior to them, mock you, despise you. Notice, fourthly, if you go back to Job chapter 12, keep your place in uh, Acts, but go to Job chapter 12. Job was not only felt to, made to feel inferior and made to feel mocked and made to feel despised, but he was also made to feel like a failure. Because notice what he says in verse 5. Remember, there's two things in verse 5 we can pull out. One is that he was despised. He is a lamp despised in the thought of him. But then notice the descriptions here of the he and the him. Because in verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, there's a he, and towards the end, there's a him. And he says, he is as a lamp despised in the thought of him. But then notice the description of the he and the him. He says, he that is ready to slip... So, so he throws this description. He says, not only is one guy being despised by another guy, but he said, let me tell you something about these guys. The guy that's being despised, the upright, the just man, he is ready to slip. I mean, he's like falling down. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thoughts of him that is at ease. And of course, Job is referring here to himself and his three friends. Go to Psalm, if you would. Psalm 73, right after the book of Job, you have the book of Psalm. And Job is here saying, look, I'm ready to slip, and you're sitting there at ease, and you're despising me. But look, this is the lie of the world. The world's going to try to make you feel like a failure. Like, look at you struggling and slipping while we're just at ease. We've seen this recently, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the, the, the quintessential passage about this is Psalm 73, where Asaph started looking at the world and started comparing. Psalm 73, verse 3, notice what Asaph says. He says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. 
Notice what Asaph is saying. Asaph is saying, he says, look, I, I was envious. He said, let me give you a testimony. I got backslidden, and I became envious at the foolish. Why were you envious at the foolish, Asaph? Because of their prosperity. Because I was just looking over at my neighbor, and he was just succeeding. He was just winning. He said, I was looking over at the world and at the wicked. And you know what I noticed about them? I noticed that there are no bands in their death. I looked at believers, those who call upon the Lord, and when they die, they're bound. They're being bound and they're being put to death. But he said, I looked at the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Look at verse 5. He says, they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. He says, I look at the world and... They, they have no problems. They're just prospering. They have no plagues. They have no issues. They have no problems. And this is what Job says. He says, he that is ready to slip. He says, with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thoughts of him that is at ease. He says, I'm, I'm ready to slip while you're at ease and you're despising me. You're making me to feel like a failure. Then he says this in verse 6. We're going to flip, flip, flip back between Psalm 73 and Job 12. Look at Job 12 and verse 6. He says, the tabernacles of the robbers prosper. He says, they're liars, they're thieves, and yet they prosper. Yet their house is nice. Yet their, their tabernacles, something to envy after. The tabernacles of the robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. And he says, even this, he says, it's almost like God is just blessing them. God is just making them rich. God is just making them to prosper. This is the same thing Asaph said. Go back to Psalm 73, look at verse 11. And they say, how doth God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And look, the point, the reason that Job is feeling this way and the reason that the world and the devil and the flesh try to make those Christians and believers who are trying to actually live for God and walk with God and serve God and raise their children for God, the reason that the world tries to make you feel inferior, tries to, make, tries to mock at you and despise you and make you feel like a failure, like Job saying, I'm slipping here while the E's are despising me, like Asaph saying, you know, I am bound while their strength is firm. Say, why does the world do that? One reason, to distract you. To make you want to be like them. I mean, notice what Asaph says. This is before he gets right with God. Verse 13, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Here's what Asaph said. Asaph said, I started going to that Verity Baptist church and I started cleaning up my life and I got rid of that stinking hell vision. And I got rid of all that worldly uh, clothing. And I got rid of all the worldly movies and all the worldly music. And I, and I stopped drinking. And I stopped smoking. And I started living for God. And I started going to church. And I started going soul winning. And, and, and my life still got worse while the world 
His life got better. And, and he says, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And you say, well, pastor, what's the answer to this? The answer to this is make sure you've got the right perspective of life. I mean, if if success means a nice house, then yeah, go play for the NBA. I mean, if success is, if success is live in the biggest, nicest house you can possibly ever live in, then go lie and steal and cheat then go work every day, forget God, never go to church, never go... Then live for that! If that's what success is, if success is to just be numb and to have pleasure, then get drugs, get alcohol, get uh, just given to lust, just live that way. But look, you'll get to the end of that and you'll be miserable. You'll get to the end of that and God, like he looked down at the rich fool, he said, thou fool! Solomon said, Solomon said, I chased all of that. I chased wealth. I chased women. I chased wine. I chased uh, uh, education. I chased all of that. And he says at the end of my life, he said, I hated life. Amen. See, if you see that success, if that's what you think success is, then we are inferior. If that's what you think success is, then they should mock at us. If that's what you think success is, then they should despise us and we should feel like failures. But if, if success is salvation, if success is I live in a crappy home and I get a mansion in heaven versus living in a mansion and dying and going to hell, I mean, if success is that I know God and I walk with God and I love God and I love my wife and I love my children and we do something for eternity, if that's success, you just have to decide what, what's success. See, Asaph says, Asaph, and we won't keep going through the chapter, but Asaph says, when I went to the house of the Lord, I realized I was wrong. But look, please understand this. Please understand this. Every time you go to work, every time you go in some sort of social gathering with the world, if you're living the Christian life right, they're going to try to make you feel like you're inferior, mock at you, take jabs at you, despise you, make you feel like a failure. And look, when Christians decide, no, I'm going to chase that, you will waste your life. You'll get to the end of your life. And like Solomon say, I hated life. There's a reason why all these millionaires are miserable. There's a reason why they're just on all sorts of drugs and alcohol. Their lives are terrible. There's a reason why all these rock stars are killing themselves, all these movie stars are committing suicide. The joy of the Lord is your strength, is what the Bible says. So you have to define success correctly. Go back to Job chapter 12. Look at verse 7. So remember, there's two sections in this chapter. The first section is that how Job feels about himself. And it's really how Job is made to feel about himself. Because his friends are trying to make him feel inferior, make him feel mocked at, make them feel despised, make him feel like a failure. But then Job comes back. You say, how do you come back from this? Because this is how I feel. <laughs> this is how my in-laws make me feel. This is how my parents make me feel. This is how my neighbors make me feel. Is how my siblings make me feel. See, Job comes back with this 
with this idea, not only how I'm made to feel, but what Job knows about God. See, Job knows, he says, I know how I feel, and I know what I know about God. And for the rest of this chapter and in the next several chapters, he kind of develops this idea. Notice what Job knows about God. Number one, he knows that God is the God over creation. Look at verse 7. He says, but ask now. Because he just got done saying, okay, if I were to ask my friends, my so-called friends here, if I were to ask them, here's what they would say. They would say, Job, you're inferior. They would mock at me. They would despise me. They would see me as a failure. But he says, okay, let's ask somebody uh, who actually knows. Verse 7. He says, but ask now the beasts. And they shall teach thee. And the fowls of the air. And they shall tell thee. And I'm getting ready to preach this uh, series on when animals attack in the Bible. But you know what's interesting about animals in the Bible? Animals in the Bible have no problem glorifying God. In fact, the Bible says that animals glorify God. I'll show it to you in our series. You know, animals, the only creatures on earth that have a God complex are humans. Ask the beast. He says, Job says, but ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. He says in verse 8, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not, and all these. And here's really the theme of this chapter at the end of verse 9. He says that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. Here's what Job says. Job looks at his friends. Because remember, the whole situation here with Job is that Job's confused. Job says, I don't know why this is happening to me. And his friends are saying, well, we know why this is happening to you, because you're wicked. And Job is saying, I'm not wicked. I don't know why this is happening, but I'm not wicked. And there's this conversation that's going back and forth. And Job here declares, he says, look, here's what I know. Whatever's happening, God did it. Here's what I know. The hand of the Lord hath wrought this. See, God is a God over creation. In verse 7, he says, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Go to Psalm 104. Look at verse 24. Psalm 104 and verse 24. Keep your finger right there in Psalm 104. We're going to leave it and come back to it. Psalm 104 and verse 24. And, and by the way, this is specifically like the beast of the field have no problem with glorifying God. But there's also another idea here that if you look at the beast of the field, they will reveal God. Psalm 104, verse 24, notice what the Bible says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. Here's what, he, here's what he's saying. Here's what the Bible says. Because I want you to notice verse 4. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, and wisdom has thou made them all. When somebody actually looks at creation, you cannot walk away from looking at creation without believing that this was created by someone who's very wise. They did not, this did not just happen by accident. There, there was a designer. There was somebody with wisdom. How manifold are thy works, and wisdom has thou made them all. He says, you can look at the creatures, and they'll declare God. He says, you can look at creation, and it'll declare God. Look at verse 
8 of Job 12, verse 8. Or speak to the earth, and it shall tell thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. Go to Psalm 19, if you would. Psalm 19, look at verse 1. Psalm 19, famous verse. Famous passage, I should say. Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. He says, look, every night you look up at the stars, and it shows the knowledge of God. It's like a sermon that's being preached by God. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set the tabernacle for the sun. And he talks about the fact that, look, nature reveals God. And there's no creature on this earth that will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know there was a God. I don't have time to develop this. I preached the whole series or sermons on it when we were doing our declaring doctrine. But this is referring to the fact that nature reveals God generally. Romans 1 tells us that nature reveals the wrath of God. But God has given us the ministry of reconciliation to then go and preach the grace of God. And this is why we must preach the grace of God. Go to Job chapter 12. Then he asked this question, and I believe this is really kind of the, the, the key of this passage. He says, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Question mark. He asked this question. He says, Who doesn't know? He says, Who doesn't look up at the sky, look up at the stars, look up at creation, look at animals, look at creatures? Who doesn't know that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? And the answer to the question is college-educated people. Those are the only people who don't know. Because you have to be educated out of believing God. Everyone naturally believes God, believes in God. I mean, that's what he said. He said, look, all throughout the world, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can go all over this world, and you'll find heathens that believe in the wrong God, but they believe in a God. Because nobody looks up at heaven, nobody looks at, at, at the animal kingdom, nobody looks at nature and says, Big Bang. You have to be educated into, you have to be brainwashed into believing that. Job is asking this rhetorical question, Who knoweth not in all these that the hands of the Lord hath wrought this? And the answer is this, that the truth is that God has revealed himself through creation and in the conscience of man to all men so that they are without excuse. Then he says this in verse 10. He says, In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. See, here's what he says, and here's the point. Job says, If God created us, then we are accountable to God. If God created us, then he is the Lord of all creation. He says, it is in God's hand. He said, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. We're going to come back to that thought here later on um, in, in the sermon, but go, go to Acts just real quickly and look at verse 17, because this is a common theme. When we talk about creation 
in the fact that God created all things. The reason that there's such an attack on that, the reason that there's such an attack on creation is because if there is a creator, if there is a God with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and power that created us, then he must have created us for a purpose and with a plan. See, if there's a creator, then there's accountability. Why is there such an attack on creation? Because they don't want accountability. Acts 17, look at verse 24. Notice what Paul says on Mars Hill to these very superstitious people. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. What does that mean? It means that God is the boss. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He says, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Look at verse 25. Neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything. Notice these words. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You ever stop to think about in the morning, the only reason you woke up is because God allowed you to? And the Bible says that in his hand is your breath. And he can take it. At any moment that he desires. He is God over creation. And we're going to come back to that thought here in a minute, but I want you to go back to Job 12. I want you to notice Job, because Job's being made to feel real bad. Job, you're inferior. You're, you're, let's mock at you. Let's despise you. You're a failure. So Job is saying, look, I don't know about all that, but I know this. I know, I know what I know about God, and what I know about God is this. That God is the creator. And if God is the creator, then he wrought all this. And God did it. He said, he said, God is a creator over creation. Then he says this, God is God over wisdom. Look at verse 11. He says, does not ear try words? He said, does not the ear try words? And the mouth tastes his meat? He says, with the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days, understanding. And this is a general principle that young people should learn, is that in general, and there's exceptions to the rule, of course, but in general, the older someone is, the more wisdom they have. Now, obviously, if someone's wicked as hell, it doesn't matter how old they are. But, you know, when somebody has been walking with the Lord for a long time, when somebody has been serving the Lord, look, don't get this idea because young people get this idea like, oh, well, they're old, I don't have to listen to them. Look, if somebody's been walking with the Lord for a long time, they've been soul winning for a long time, they've been preaching for a long time, they've just been living the Christian life successfully for a long time, maybe you ought to stop for a minute and realize that they might have some wisdom for you. When they give you some advice, you should probably take it. With the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days, understanding. And again, this is not just a blanket statement, but people that, that walk with God, that love the Lord, and been doing it for years, we should realize that, that there's wisdom with them. Look at verse 13. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Now, the him there, he's referring to God. He's saying, look, he said, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if man gets wisdom, man gets wisdom because they're old. That's how we get wisdom. Trial and error. We make a bunch of mistakes. You say, you know, why is the 50-year-old, the 60-year-old, the 70-year-old wiser than the 20-year-old and the teenager and the 30-year-old? Why? Not because they're smarter than you are. They just made all the same stupid mistakes you were making. So I always think it's funny when people, they bring to me all these things, and I'm like, you're not the first person. Look, there's no new thing under the sun. You're not the first person who came up with this. We've already talked about this, like five different times. 
He says they're wise because they've been doing it for a while. But he says, not God. Look at verse 13. With him is wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. He says God is old, but that's not why God is wise. God is wise because God is God. He says in verse 16, with him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. And I don't have time to develop that. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to touch that this sermon. But let me just say this. Verse 16, he's talking about reprobates. He says, the deceived and the deceiver are his. Sometimes God deceives people. He rejects people. He speaks in parables that they might not understand. Then he says this in verse 13. He says, God is the God over strength. He He says, not only is God smarter than you, and we've looked at this in other passages with Job, he says, not only is God smarter than you, God is stronger than you. Verse 13, with him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. And also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you can't stop God. God does whatever he wants. You make all your little plans for 2020, and God says, coronavirus, riots, stolen elections. I mean, God says, I'll do what I want. I will mess it all up. He breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. He withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. He sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. He says, look, you can't stop God. Then he says this. And it's interesting because I dealt with this in the political series, and then it's coming up here again, and I don't know why I didn't plan this, but it's coming up, so we'll just deal with it. Then he says this. God is not only the God over creation. He says, but God is also the God over civilization. He says, God is the God over the rulers of this world. Look at verse 17. He leadeth counselors away. He says, there are people, there are advisors, there are cabinet members that get paid really good money to give counsel. And he leadeth counselors away spoiled. Think of Hithophel. Then he says this, and maketh the judges fools. And that's the life verse of the Supreme Court. Look at verse 18. He looseth the bonds, the bond of kings, and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. The mighty are the soldiers, the warriors, as he overthrows them. He removeth away the speech of the trusty. And I'm sure he's looking at his friends. You know, obviously I don't know this, but I would imagine if it were me, the way I would be saying this if I were Job, I, my three friends are standing in front of me, I would say, he removeth the way the speech of the trustee, because they're talking against him, and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He says, look, people get wisdom because they're older. But he says, even if you're old, God can just make you go crazy. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. Verse 21. He poureth contempt upon princes and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of the dark and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. Look at verse 23. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. Here's what he says. He says, God decides which nations flourish and which nations fail. 
He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straineth them again. He says, look, God is the God over the geopolitical world. He's not just the God over creation. He is the God over civilization. He's the God over rulers. Look at verse 24. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people. And I want you to notice that, those two words, the chief. That's the boss. That's the highest. The, he says, he taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. Now, it's really interesting because in Job, Job here is talking about rulers and how he can deceive them and how he can bring them down and put them up and how he can make the chief of the people and cause them to wander in the wilderness and he can make them grope in the dark without light. And it's really interesting because there's some correlations between Job chapter 12 and Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. I want to just look at those real quickly and we'll finish up for tonight. Go, if you would, to Daniel chapter 4. Keep your place right there in Job 12 and go to Daniel chapter 4. Uh, if you're there in Job, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 and look at verse 28. Now in Daniel 4, we have King Nebuchadnezzar He's like the president of the United States. I mean, he's the most powerful man on earth. He's the, the, the chief ruler of the most powerful nation on earth at this time, Babylon. And he got pretty arrogant about it. Look at verse 28. All this came upon the, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar. He's the chief of the people. Notice verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and what's being referred to 12 months here is the fact that he had a dream about what's going to happen to him as a warning. And he chose not to heed that warning. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? Right? It's great. It's the chief. It's the greatest nation on earth at this time. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? And for the honor of my majesty, notice verse 31. I love verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. So as he's saying, he's talking this, he's saying this to himself. He's walking through his palace saying, look at all these great things that I have. And the Bible says, while the word was in the king's mouth, there followed a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times, and that's referring to seven years, shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And this is what, then, what Job is talking about. Job is saying God gives kingdoms to whoever he wants, and God can make the chief of the people to wander in the wilderness. And this is exactly what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. There's actually a name for this. I didn't look it up, and I can't remember what it is now. There's actually a, a, a mental disease that people have that make them do this, where they think they're an ox. Like, there's people, this happens to people today. And they go live in the field and eat grass. And I'm not saying that all, it's, it's pretty rare, and I'm not saying that the people that, that have that, that God did it to them, 
But God definitely did it to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men. And did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. He's been living out there for seven years, and his hair is grown like eagles' feathers, his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, because this is his testimony, he's the one telling us the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. I mean, listen, doesn't, doesn't Nebuchadnezzar sound really different in verse 35 from verse 30? He says, look at this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. And now he's saying, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. This is exactly what Job is saying. He's saying no one can hold back his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Nobody can question God. What are you doing? And this is what Job is saying. Job is looking at his friends and saying, look, I realize you think I'm in fear. I realize you're mocking at me and you despise me. And you're looking at me and you think, you're thinking, you know, I just put all my eggs on the wrong basket. I've been serving God and I shouldn't have, you know, and, and, it's, and I've been uh, not doing it right. And, and you think that it's not working out for me. But here's what he says. He says, I know this. God wrought this. God did it. And Nebuchadnezzar, he says, what? He says, nobody can ask God what doest thou. Look at verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom. Mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. And again, he was put back there because God put him there. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, pray and exalt and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson. And here's, here's, here's what Nebuchadnezzar would say to you, and here's what Job would say to you. Keep your place right there. We're, gonna, we're almost done, all right? We're going to go back to Job 12, and we're going to come back to Daniel chapter 5. But go, go to Job 12, in verse 9. Who knoweth not, Job 12, verse 9, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Here's what Job is saying. Job and Nebuchadnezzar are very similar situations. They both were successful, they both have fallen, and God will eventually reestablish them both. One major difference is that Job did nothing wrong, Nebuchadnezzar did everything wrong. But the lesson is this, and here's what Job is saying. Job is saying to his friends, he's saying, I don't know why God is doing what he's doing. But here's what I do know. God is doing it. And look, in life, you're going to go through dark times. You're going to go through storms. You're going to go through dark valleys. You're going to go through times of pain. And when you question, why is God doing this? And sometimes we will never get that answer. But like Job, we can know this answer, that God is doing it. And God is doing it for his purpose. And whether I understand it or not, Job God was working through Job and in Job. 
for God's purpose. God was working with Nebuchadnezzar and through Nebuchadnezzar for God's purpose. He says, who knoweth not on all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? Then he says this in verse 10, he said, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. It's just really interesting. I just want to show this to you real quickly. We'll finish up. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Because when you, tr- when you fast forward to Belteshazzar's kingdom, the Bible says this, Daniel 5 verse 22, this is after Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 5 22, And thou his son, O Belteshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, Though thou knewest all this, and Daniel just got done, if you read chapter 5, reminding Belteshazzar about what Nebuchadnezzar went through and what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he went crazy and all those things. And then Daniel is telling Belteshazzar, you did not humble yourself, though thou knewest all this. He said, you knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and you went down the same path. Verse 23, but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and the concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which are see or which see not, nor hear, nor know. Look at look at these these words. I just want you to notice this. Last part, verse twenty-three. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, has thou not glorified. Same thing that Job said, the breath of all, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So we see this chapter, Job chapter uh, 12, divided in two sections. And there's really two ideas and two thoughts. The first section is this, how the world makes us feel. Job said, I am made to feel inferior. I am mocked at. I am despised. I am made to feel like a failure. What's the lesson? The lesson is this, don't let the world determine what success is. You just follow God. You just serve God. And look, in the Bible, God often blessed people financially and with success and riches and wealth when they served him. But look, make sure that you are not following those things. There's nothing wrong with money. There's, there's something way wrong with loving money. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And then there's a second section where Job would say this, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening, but here's what I know. The hand of the Lord hath wrought this. He says, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Whatever's going on, God did it. And by the way, that's the foundation because in the next chapter, we're going to see this great statement from Job, one of the most famous verses in the book of Job, where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You say, how can you say that, Job? Well, it begins... In chapter 12, where he says, I know this, the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I, I, I know that many of our people have walked through dark times and may walk through dark times in their lives. And sometimes we just don't know, like Job, we just don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But Lord, help us, like Job, to remember. We know this, the hand of the Lord had done it. God allowed it. It got filtered through God. God knows. Lord, help us have confidence in that, knowing that God is doing it, God is working it, 
and we just have to trust in him. We love you. Thank you for the book of Job. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.